I just want to welcome you to our um, Sunday morning equip hour. And uh, we have been studying First Peter. Um, the reason why we tape our time is because we try to put the audio um, for the, all of our teaching sessions that we've been doing for the last probably six or seven years up on the web. And so um, if for any reason you happen to miss um, one of the sessions or you'd like to go back and kind of see what we've been studying, um, feel free to go up on vcob.org and you can find it up there. Media and training, and uh, and uh, in there you'll find on every one of the sessions or training, one, every one of the sessions you'll find an audio version of which you can either listen online or you can like right click on it if you don't have a Mac, <laughs> right click on it and then save it down to your desktop and listen to it that way. Along with that, on every one of the sessions is a is PowerPoint um, presentation that you can follow along with. Along with that is um, an outline that you can pull down, print off, and then use that to go through our time together that looks like this, if you would. So with that, um, just let's, uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, we're going to be um, doing just a, another little nuance as far as how we normally go about the questions on the front end of our time for a little, a little more participation and engagement. So with that, um, let's get started if we could. Father, we thank you for life. Father, we thank you that you involved in our lives. Father, we can't help but think that the way the world is today is changing dramatically, that uh, what maybe what we've had in the past will, will not be there in the future, and that you, sovereign will, are actually um, allowing our adversary to coalesce kingdoms, coalesce countries, coalesce Redeems coalesce, enemies coalesce, alliances in such a way that will bring about <clears throat> these end of days. Father, we know that um, these things are not far from us. We don't know the role you want us personally to play in these things. You said that since we are still here, <clears throat> that you have a profound plan for enacting. Father, we want to be prepared for that day. Father, you prepare us for those days because of what we go through today. Father, we ask that you would help us understand these things. May we not be caught by surprise. May we understand the time, bear our hearts, that which is to come. And we ask these things in the powerful name of your Son. Um, so, uh, as we get started, I'm going to um, touch base with you on this first question. And then we're actually going to in, in, interact on all the rest of these questions as we go through our time together. Um, at different intervals within um, our study this morning. So if you would turn to 1 Peter, um, we are in chapter 3. Um, we are going to be looking at um, verses 13 through 17 today. So go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Today's study, we're going to be looking specifically within that. This is a part 2 of, of our study. And uh, the two parts, last week and this week, are really about developing confidence in a hostile world. So how do we develop confidence in a hostile world? And I'll suggest never increasing hostile world. Um, we said uh, last week uh, we covered two of the th things that we can do to prepare for this. And today we're going to cover three more things for a total of five things in total. And so the first question here. Uh, last week we looked at verses um, 13 and 14 and verse 17. We kind of jumped to verse 17. And then this week we're going to look at verses 15 and 16 today. So if you were here last week, um, can you share a few insights about what you learned as to Peter's principles of how believers can develop confidence in the face of, a growing, of growing threats from an unbelieving and ever more hostile world? A few insights as to what we covered, a few insights as to what you observed, a few insights as to what you learned last week. Thoughts? Thoughts on that? If you were here last week and you have observations or thoughts too, we'll hear them too. <laughs> you don't share something quickly, we're going to have to go back to last week and cover last week again because you're listening too slowly. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. Become willing to suffer for Christ. What does that look like and mean, do you think? A lot of believers around the world and through all time have, have suffered and um, for Christ. 
what does that look like or mean for us? We haven't re- really ever kind of been in that space before oh, very much, have we? As maybe carved out a little bit, maybe, all the rest of the world in some areas of freedom that we have, yeah? What, what do you think? Okay, we have hope that in the end, what? We've been studying the fact that we have a living hope, yeah? What does that look like? What does that mean? Think about developing confidence in the face of a growing threats in an unbelieving and ever more hostile world. What does that look like mean? Okay? Yep. 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 Very much so, yeah. So, where's our focus? Where's our gaze? Where's our. Um, we're going to learn more t- today about three more ways we can develop that confidence. But two of the ways we looked at last week, one was, as Arlene says, become willing to suffer. That's just a process. All these five of these things are all about a process. They're not about like coming, like I'm ready <laughs> to do this. <laughs> it's about like, um, I'll call it a spectrum chart, meaning that we're moving from here for not being ready to moving to here to becoming ready. I don't think any of us on all, any one of these five are like, got it, you know, ready <laughs> for this. So one of those five that we talked about last week was come willing to suffer for, for Christ's sake. That's the point, Christ's sake. Um, just to do that alone, I mean, what, what do you, you have to fix your gaze, your eyes in the right place? What, any other thoughts on that? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, comes with it a, a desire to want to please him no matter what the situation I'm called necessarily to be in or to do or to speak of or to whatever. So one of the things I think that I just want to get across with all of us, and it's just something that's been impressed upon me so much, is that um, God doesn't call us to always brings me through little decisions in my life that prepares me to make big see this in You see this in leadership a lot, too. You, you see that... You know, don't just throw a person into leadership. They 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 they, they start um, giving little greater opportunities and they grow into that and make their good decisions more more into it, grow into more decisions, and they're learning through that process. So um, you see it in um, decisions to please God. You know, I mean, God doesn't put me into a great crisis situation unless He's like somehow. As I look back in my life, He's like. Brought me to a place through understanding or learning or seeing things from the standpoint of how, how I can please him in that larger context, that larger situation. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the seven questions in life, is God good? Is God sovereign? Is he engaged in the affairs of my life? Is God trustworthy? Is he adequate to meet my needs? Does he have my best interests at heart? And the last one's an act of my will, which is really... Um, then will I trust him? So those are all actually sequential in nature, and they, they grow and develop on the one that came before it. And so it helps develop my thought process out in such a way that I'm ready for that situation. It's really helped. And, and you know, one of the things that we learned in, at Faith in our counseling, just personally, you know, I'm, talk, I'm, just, I'm not talking about, like, how it helps me help others. It's really about how I've learned is, like, Almost invariably, when we struggle with a situation, we're in a two-dimensional world, meaning that we're we're on the <clears throat> we're we're just on this plane looking at the situation in us. And and when we ask the question like, "Where is God in all this?" that then you start answering different questions, which is he's he is sovereign, he is in this, he's 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 with me. All that is part of that whole thing. So, developing confidence uh, first and foremost, we said. Uh, um, be, become willing to suffer last week. <clears throat> the second thing we said is um, uh, become passionate about goodness. What did that look like? What, what does that mean? Become passionate about goodness. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. the word zealot. Yes. Talk, talk, us, talk to us a little bit more about that. Well, you know, zealot, I think, has a big... Yeah. Uh, okay, good. So, passionate about... Uh, uh, goodness, uh, about nobleness, about being, you know, doing the right thing. Um, and uh, so, yeah, good stuff. So, last time we got together, we looked at um, this picture. Um, see it? Um, we talked about meaning and values in our, in our life. And that um, uh, culture and society are 
um, really built upon um, three things that make that make this teeter totter go high on this side or low on this side or high on this side and low on this side. And I, I suggested that at least in the United States, we're really at this major tipping point right here. And the three things really are a knowledge of God, a high view of God, and an understanding uh, of the person and work of Christ. And so as we think about like where we stand in, in our culture uh, around these three things, having a high view of God, we said that this is a spectrum that moves from here to here. And over here, it's really freedom. And over here, it's really slavery. And the adversary wants us to move this direction. He's creating an entire culture and society, a world that he says is the, the kingdom of kingdoms of this world. And you look at those kingdoms of this world and you see where they land in many, if not most, of these areas. And it's a shifting that's taking place, a, a cataclysmic shifting. And so under freedom, if you think about the kingdom of God and you think about heaven, think about eternity, okay, it's, it's really about, you know, well, first of all, we won't have a rule of law because there you know, law will be written in our hearts. But, but here we have a rule of law. You know, we have, over here there's anarchy. Over here, this gives life. This brings death. It takes life. Peace, war and strife, order, chaos, love, hate, free will, choice, no choice over here. I don't know if you use the word democracy, but it's, you know, versus a, a, an elite, you know, group of people kind of taking us over the cliff, right? Hope and future, despair and no future, noble, um, culture and society, a degenerate culture and society. And see this kind of, we can keep going on and on and on, um, but, but you see this, this, this cataclysmic shifting taking place um, in, in just the United States alone. Um, um, and so th- that's an important setup, if you would, from our time last week. Um, last week we talked also about the fact that um, uh, uh, become passionate about goodness, become willing to suffer. And we're going to look at these three points today. Um, last week we looked at, at, as even George said, you know, get fired up about what is good. When we're fired about, up about what is good, um, he, the point that, that Peter's saying is that um, it's going to be very hard for people to um, uh, uh, prove uh, to harm us if, if we're all fired up about only what's good and not what's bad. And so we're going to talk more about that also today. Um, a second thing we said, become willing to suffer. He says there's not certainty that we will. He says perchance it, it may happen. But the point here is that suffer for the right things, for righteousness' sake. And then last, um, a couple more things we said here was that you will be blessed. You are blessed if you suffer. And we just said that's not the process of being suffering, and it's not necessarily even the end game of, being, of suffering. We said that you are blessed if, if, if you suffer um, for Christ's sake. And the point there is that you have been personally chosen by God to go through that for some reason. Not sure why, but it's, it's, the, it's the standpoint of having it be an honor and a privilege that God has chosen us to do that. And we looked at Revelation chapter 14, verses 3 through 5, that really speak of the fact that these, these martyrs um, for the faith have an experience that no one else has and they, they have the ability to speak highly of God and His glory. It wasn't ever, no, no place in Revelation do you see um, them coming out and going, well, I don't know why He chose me, you know, or, you know, what about, you know, God's, you know, character, you know, caused me to have to, you know, die for Him. It's like, no, I, you know, you don't see that at all. You see them literally following the Lamb around day and night, you know, and, and, and having um, a high speaking of praise in their mouth for, for Him and Him alone. Um, and so, he says, don't fear their intimidation. Don't be troubled. The point here is don't, don't be shaken. Don't be stirred up. Um, don't fear their fear. Um, and, and we talk about if God should will it so, is that... It, it, um, you know, he's involved in this process. He's the one making um, the decisions of, 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 of how this would all, will all take place. Um, and then, last but not least, we said that there are only two possibilities as to suffering. We said, it is better that you suffer for what is right than for doing what is wrong. So, as opposed to disobeying God's word and sinning, and therefore, in the process of suffering, you know, he says, 
um, suffer for what's doing for what's right. Um, so our ability to submit ourselves into this construct and 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 lean fully into it and not sin in the middle of being suffer of, of, of suffering gives us the ability to do what's right in the midst of that. Eternal good, right? So yeah. Amen. And so the second part, you know, where God gets the glory, um, you know, if we think about, or even for our good, you know, if we have already developed some of the attributes or character traits that we're going to learn through this process, then, then one of his chief most important reasons for going through this is not about developing that out, but it's really about displaying it before other people. So, so don't for a second only think that this is about like God's doing in me. It's also many times about what he's going to do. Okay, so our um, learning objective is the same as last week. I'll, I'll state it again. Is it, It's that we would understand, this is on page two of your study, um, it's that we would understand Peter's principles of how believers can develop confidence in the face of growing threats from an unbelieving and ever more hostile world. Peter's principles of how believers would establish confidence in the face of growing threats from an unbelieving and ever more hostile world. So my ask, my, my question to you is, 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 that, a, is that a fair uh, description of what's happening today? Do you resonate with that that? That description. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much everybody. Whether you think about it every day or not, I would submit that it's happening at light speed. It's happening fast. It is something that is uh, occurring very quickly. I mean, you yep. know, and every day you hear something. And you're like, how in the world did yeah, that happen? It's like a, every, every day there's another brick you hear. Right. And this brick is just building this construct that is anti-God, anti-Christ. Um, uh, and why should we be surprised? I mean, he says, you know, um, Peter, at, at, we'll get to it at the end of um, um, First Peter, he says, why are you so surprised at the fiery tr- trials that have, are coming your way? So, like, this didn't just come up over time and all of a sudden happen. It's been occurring. So. And not only that, Mark, yeah. you know, like, yeah. I mean, he's getting glory. Oh, my goodness. That, yes. Later. Like, yeah. Guys, we're gonna get a text, yes. You know? and it, has, uh, yes. it comes in different shapes of yes. work. It could be relationships. Exactly. It could be your kids. So, um, Cheryl, with your good eyes, as I hold the light from hitting the screen, can you can you read 15 through 16 for us? Great. Okay. So, the third thing that we want to look at beyond um, becoming passionate about goodness and becoming willing to suffer is become devoted to Christ. Become devoted to Christ. When we say, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, here, again we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, what, what do you think this means? It's the second question on the front page, but we're going to hit these questions as we go through our time together. What does it mean to sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, do you think? And can you give a ex- possible example, maybe? Okay, put him first, before anything else. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great example. Other examples. Word sanctify. Can anybody give us a sense of what that means? Set apart. It's to set apart. Exactly. So if I'm being asked by Peter to sanctify Christ, it's to set him apart. Set him apart in our hearts. That's the point. So set him, set him apart in our hearts. What is it? So as Lord... So the setting up, setting apart, or setting, setting, differentiating him in my heart as Lord, says that he reigns supreme. He is he is supreme in my heart. Um, so it means to set apart or to consecrate. It's by giving Jesus the primary place of focus, the primary place of adoration, the primary place of Worship and exaltation. Um, let's turn to Isaiah eight thirteen. Yeah. So, to talk to me about what the difference looks like. What? How does it manifest itself? Do you think? I also day to day. Yeah. It's a really good illustration. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I would suggest that, that you just described the process of what it means to sanctify Christ as Lord in my life, in my heart. You just very eloquently described that how to do that. Um, so, um, somebody got uh, Isaiah eight thirteen. Would you read that out loud? Actually, would you read the very end of twelve out loud? It says, "And you," in the first sentence of fourteen. Okay. A sanctuary being a place of refuge. Um, so he says, um, do not fear what they fear. Do not fear what is natural. That's a good way to say it, right? Do not fear what, 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 what is natural, what comes naturally to fear. But he says, you are to fear the Lord of hosts. Um, any significance as to maybe why he says the Lord of hosts as opposed to Yahweh or someone else? Everything. All the hosts of heaven. All of that which we can see, all that which we cannot see um, with, our, with our eyes. He is, he is the Lord of armies. He, he, he is the one to, 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 to stand in awe of um, be, because he is holy and, and he should be your dread. Um, and when we do that, he says, he, he will become our sanctuary. I, I can attest to this personally. Um, verses. Um, a sanctuary meaning just a place of refuge, the place where we can go and know that he is God and that he will take me through the fire. He will, he will be with me, whatever it is I'm going to walk. That is a great confidence, great confidence. Um, so some examples of this are that we make Jesus our sole object of love, reverence, loyalty, obedience, etc. Um, let's take this down to the, you know, to the street level. Um, how do we make him Lord and sanctify him as Lord in our, in our hearts? We, we, we make Jesus our sole object of reverence and, and um, love, loyalty, and obedience. Uh, Romans 13, 14. Romans 13, 14. Just go ahead and read it out loud if you would. We're going to go through these verses here. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. So this process of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and, so that... You make, we make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. That its lust is the cravings, its passions, the natural um, affections that we have as a result of our unredeemed humanness, if you would. Um, he says, don't bait the hook. Don't bait the hook. Don't, don't, don't go there. Instead, sanctify Christ as Lord. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, make him supreme in your affections. So that your affections will be all for him and not for any, any the other things. Make it a supernatural craving versus a natural craving. Life. Okay? Practical example of, of making him your sole object. Um, so, another way is by recognizing his perfection. Recognizing his perfection. Hebrews chapter um, 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Um, Let's read, uh, let's, let's read verses 25-28. Hebrews 7, 25-28. Yeah, if you would. So this word of oath, or the oath, was David, and what he said about this to him, and says that he appointed son made perfect forever. So, um, how we view um, Christ, okay, is going to significantly affect... Um, how we can say no to sin. How we view Christ will significantly affect our ability to say no to sin in our life. Why is that the case? It's because um, if we believe that He is holy, perfect, um, and, and, and view Him as, quote, as it says right here, exalted above the heavens. You know, um, A.W. Tozer said, the, thing, the, the way in which we view God, I'll suggest in Christ, is the single most important thing in our life everything as to how we think and how we navigate everything. I'll suggest when we have a high view of God, it, it becomes a lot harder to sin because we we see higher Him more. And Bea, you know, <laughs> what was me? And I'll, I am yours too. Recognize His perfection. Extol and magnify His glory. Extol and magnify His glory. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. We see the Son of Man and Son of God um, in all of his gl- resurrection glory in this passage. Um, chapter 1, verses, um, let's just uh, jump to, if we could, um, uh, 
verse 13, and in the middle of the lampstands, these lampstands are the churches um, in, in the, in the, um, in the Turkey area of Turkey today. Um, and uh, it says, in the middle of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like white wool and like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in all its strength. Um, so profound was this image that was emblazoned upon John's mind that he um, fell like a dead man. I wonder if we have this image in our minds. Sanctify Christ as Lord and our radically transform my Stole and magnify his glory. Affirm his preeminence. Colossians 1.18. Colossians 1.18. Somebody got that and read it? Anybody? Okay. So that he might come to have first place in everything. That's Christ and God's desire for us. Is that Christ would come to have first place in everything. Everything. He doesn't just say like the things that you think are important. He says in all things, in everything. That's what we call preeminence. That's what preeminence means. So when we think about the fact that Christ is preeminent in my life, it goes back to the specific process that Deanne articulated as to how we go about making him preeminent. Is that we understand that we no longer live, but we live for him. And that's a daily, moment-by-moment thought process. Because I can choose to want to be selfish. I can choose to want to have my will versus his will. I can choose all day long. I have great <laughs> examples I can give you. Okay? If I choose well, I choose excellently, I choose to sanctify him as Lord in my life. Yes. Yes. Amen. And, and, the, and the be- you, can use the, the, you can use the building metaphor. You can use the... You know, the Orchestra metaphor, okay. Um, either way, it's there, there, there's there's a foundation or there's a single tuning fork, you know. <laughs> and as we tune to Him, you know, our harmony, therefore unity, will be observed, clearly understood, clearly heard, you know. Watching very much so. Yeah. Next is submitting our will ourselves to His will, and, and uh, including suffering. Submitting ourselves to His will. Including suffering. Uh, here I want to turn and look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. Somebody got that one? Okay. The one who does the will of God lives um, or abides uh, forever. So, John's whole point is, is, is this concept that Peter's bringing out of sanctifying Christ as Lord. What's the reason for it? It's that this world is passing away. I mean, what in this world would you want to make more preeminent than, than that which is eternal, that which matters, that which is significant, that which is uh, forever, that which um, caused Christ, God, to say, well done. All, this other thing, all these other things are just passing away. It's going to be gone one day. It's, it's, the, it's the line after the dot <laughs> that matters. Um, yeah. Very much so. Um, it's that we affirm our submission to Jesus and His control and instruction and guidance. How? By declaring and submitting to His sovereign majesty. By declaring and submitting to His sovereign majesty. Um, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses, verse 35. Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, chapter 4, um, uh, verse 35. Somebody read that. Deuteronomy 4, verse 35. If I read Deuteronomy 4, 35. To you it was shown that you might know the Lord, He is God, for there is no other besides Him. You know, I, I wonder how many times as we think about sanctifying Christ as Lord in our life, do we, do we, do we have a trade-off <laughs> to that decision in my, in my mind, my heart? You know, it's like Christ as Lord versus... Some other Lord, right? I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it is, right? I mean, that's how I'm, I have to make that decision because something else is going to rule me or he's going to rule. That's the question. 
says, there is no other God, there's no other Lord besides me. None. None whatsoever. Psalm 90, verse 2. I love this verse. Psalm 90, verse 2. Somebody got that one? Go ahead and read it. Amen. So before creation, before the foundation came into existence, the word um, gave birth is the language of coming into existence from that which is not in existence. Okay. Um, He says, you gave birth, brought into existence from that which wasn't the earth and the world, and from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Human beings and created beings can only go from from creation to everlasting. (laughs) Only God can go both ways, everlasting to everlasting. That alone should just like, we stand in awe of, like, there's no being, there's no, no being in the universe that can say I'm from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. I, lo- I love that declaration at the end. <laughs> you are God. <laughs> You're the only one. I sanctify you as Lord. Demonstrating that we fear only Him. That we fear only Him. What, what are some practical ways in your life that you demonstrate that you fear others? You fear, you don't fear Him, maybe, in your day-to-day life. Are there some examples maybe that you have that that are good examples, uh, you know, maybe not good examples, but examples of, of true, you know, real examples of maybe where we make that trade-off. Some press, okay. Causing us to think more highly of that versus, okay. Good example. Yeah. How can this necessarily be of him, okay. Okay, because he says very often, he's like, bring this to the Lord, right? Lay at his feet. Let it. Let him be God. You know, um, best you can. Have the right attitude, but you know what? The results are his. He will do his thing. What else? Other examples of maybe where we fear. We don't always fear him and him alone. Fear of man is a big one. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. Um, well, pleasing man is a great one. Like, like personally, right? I mean, if I'm at work and I, and I. You know, choose to please my boss versus and do what he wants versus, and it's not necessarily what God wants. Um, that that could be a very you know concrete example of how I'm fearing him versus God take care of me. Health or lack of or health. Yep, yeah. yep, for sure. I mean, it can get a get away with us, right? I mean, really, really go on steroids and get away from us, and really, I mean. You know, if if you want, if, if the truth be told, right? I mean, so that's you know, my my point is always go, yeah, 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 yeah. You all know Mandy's story. It's a story of God's God's incredible rich. Good good examples. Um, he says to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. This honoring initially takes place internally in our hearts. Be- first before we actually need it externally with others. I think this is an important component that I wanted to make sure we brought out. This gives us the ability to navigate suffering with excellence. And this is done as an act of our will. Done as an act of our will. Um, I I was, this particular truth right in here um, was one of the most powerful for me in this study. Um, I talked about it earlier. I'll just build on it from there, which is God doesn't call us to something he hasn't prepared us for beforehand. My question that I had to ask myself and I want to ask you is, like, like if this is something that is a command by Peter to us here, to sanctify Christ as Lord in my heart, have I literally done that? Like, has this, is this something that I've, I've taken seriously and, and done personally in my heart? Because that's going to lead... That's the leader, right? That's going to lead to all my actions that follow on from here and my responses. From but I would suggest we, we, we usually fall down in our lives and don't obey him or don't, aren't the testimony we should be. And when we haven't, for that, sanctify Christ as Lord. And I suggest it's maybe, it's a, it's a one-time thing, but it's an ongoing thing. It's like, it's like, I need to make this decision, yes, but I also need to make this, these decisions, <laughs> on a regular basis, w- when the time comes. But I suggest you won't make those until you've actually you know, put a stake in the heart, right dagger down in the heart, 
that says, I am, not, I am crucified with Christ. I'm, I no longer live. I desire from here on out to sanctify Christ in, as Lord of my heart at the times I need it most when Christ is going to give me them when I need them. Does that make sense to everybody? I mean, yeah, Dave, you were going to say something? Yes. Yes. Correct. Not a thing. Not a thing. Other thoughts? Where the place of conviction comes from. Biblical construct, which is the conviction of my heart. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, become devoted to Christ. Sanctify Him as Lord in your hearts. He goes on to say next is, become ready to defend the faith. Become ready to defend the faith. He says, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you give you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So when we read this language here, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account. Um, what does that mean? Do you think? What does it mean to be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks? For, to give a, an account. Back to the hope in a what does that look like or mean, do you think? Excellent. Great. So... So, God's just not going to like throw this in your in your mind at the time, or I mean, maybe he might. Yeah. But. Offense, strong argument going on. Is part of his defense. Scripture itself that how yes. not us. Yeah. And so the offense, exactly. it is not us, and we have to keep ourselves more in the defense we got. Yeah, I mean this, and we're going to get to what gentleness and reverence mean, but those certainly aren't offensive, kind of. Uh, Character traits, right? Um, I think you're absolutely spot on. So when we think about, like, um, to make a defense, um, it's about being ready to, um, well, I guess a question. Let me ask, a defense of what? God? Okay. Okay. So who's asking this question? It's always going to be a non-believer, right? It's going to be a non-believer. And what's the context of the fact that this is, asked you usually formal is it informal you think or is it formal yeah. could be a, it, it could be a, a formal situation where you're also being accused maybe even in a court of law maybe maybe you're being drugged before magistrates maybe you're you're in the middle of i mean it could be a combination of different things right it doesn't necessarily say well, so that sure they do how in the world did you <laughs> navigate that right <laughs> amen and and i think that that so that defense is a defense of um, so here's the here's the connection. Okay, I, I think that defense is a defense of the fact how and why I have sanctified Christ as Lord in my heart. <laughs> you see the connection there. So so I'm able to make this defense because I have previously sanctified Christ as Lord in my heart, and I've actually done something that made something different in my response or something else. Because what would be any other reason why? This question comes to the table, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why, why are you able to navigate it with joy? Why do you not have fear? Why do you are you not anxious? They're going to do this, this, and this to you. Why? Why is that not like cause you to stumble or to backlash against them or speak ill of them or you just go on and on and on, right? So we as believers are not just to submit and endure the blessing of suffering that we talked about already. The honor of, of, of suffering is what better way to say it, maybe. But are, but are to be ready to defend the truth when asked. Are ready to be defend the truth when asked. Would you turn with me to um, Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Luke 12, 11 and 12. <clears throat> Somebody got that? Read that out loud. So what is this? What's, what's this saying? What is it saying or what it's not saying? Yeah, there's, 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 there's a promise. I mean, it's saying when this occurs. So the assumption is that this is going to happen in our lives, whether it's magistrates, authorities, something, you know, whatever. Any authority in the world is put there by God in the first place, right? When this happens, what? Be ready. How are you going to be ready? What's the promise he gives you? Holy Spirit will come. He'll, he'll be a part of that conversation. He'll be a part of that preparation. He'll... In this, he says, in the same hour, what does that mean? It's at the very time of need. It's in the very moment of time. And that's why I always say, like, when I ask for wisdom in the midst of a situation, he always gives it. Always gives it. He, he's there. He gives that answer um, when, we want, when we look for it. Um, so he, but he says, 
do, do you think, like, we had this conversation earlier, right? I mean, he's just going to go, boop, you know, throw that in there. You know, you never knew these 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 words before. Or you never knew these promises before. You never understood this before. He's just going to, like, make it all come into existence. Most likely, he uses the word of God that we've learned up till that point in time and how we've interacted with that in, in these smaller moments to bring us to the place where we're ready to talk about these bigger moments, right? So, I mean, can, can God do the other? Yeah, he could. Tends to work, you know, in preparation with us. So, it's ready to be prepared. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. Yeah. And so when we talk about um, a defense, um, a defense is, 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 is an ability to, I mean, think about how Peter and Paul spoke in Acts, right? It was like he knew what their thinking was because of how they asked the question, and he systematically talked them through what what the answer should be, so that finish, and then they have to make a decision. <laughs> he wasn't just going to let it go. He's like, you have to decision on the thing that I just laid out before you. Believe it or not believe it. That's a defense, right? I mean, that's what, a, in a court of law, that's what would happen, right? Lay this out, but a decision's got to be made. <laughs> you know, guilty or not guilty. But in this situation, a defense for what? Not me, a defense for the truth, the gospel, <laughs> Right? And the hope that, 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 that is in you. He says always. Always be ready. So this indicates our, our need to be constantly prepared and ready to respond at any and all times. So my question is, I mean, let's just be honest right here for a second. Um, being ready at all times to get, make a defense is because I have sanctified Christ as Lord in my heart. So question number one, have I... Have I made that decision in my own personal heart. I can't answer that for you. You have to answer that. Okay. Second, you know, have, uh, have, I, have I come to a place of being able to think through in my own mind, if this were ever to happen, um, how would I approach that? Each situation is different. Everything's always a little different in the context and the situation. But the most important thing is, is do I have the hope that lies within me really clearly capable of being articulated to somebody? That's the point. The defense will be in gentleness and, 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 and everything as to my approach. But the timing says I need to always be ready. So, so if I'm always ready constantly, then this won't take me by surprise. You know, do I have my testimony ready? Do I, have I like written it down in a way that I can... Just be able to share it very clearly, very simply. Somebody asked me why I make decisions this way versus that way. Am I ready to talk about the fact that Christ is in me? He has rescued me for eternity. And let me tell you why I have the hope of eternal life. Or however the case may be. But have thought that through. And I want us to think about that. Um, because he will use that in the future for his purposes. Um, he says, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks. So this word defense is the word apologia. It's the word we get apologetics from. It can be formally. It can be informally. It doesn't have to be formal and informal. Um, he says, to, um, um, obviously due to the supernatural way we have responded up to suffering so far, that is the question as to what they want to know uh, as to what makes us tick. Why in the world... Are you acting differently than everybody else? First question is, is I go through these things, am I acting differently than everybody else? There's no reason to go to question number two unless question number one's answered that way. Fair enough. If number two is then, why are you acting that way? To, to explain that, what makes us tick. Okay. Um, he says, to give an account for the hope that's in you. This account is the word logos. It, uh, it's what we get our translation of, of, of word or message. Did somebody not get the other one? Okay. Um, it calls us to be ready at the very moment when someone asks us and to explain the following. So, uh, somebody asks us this question and we go, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> no. He's like, they ask the question, you answer. Ask the question, you answer. It's not like I have to think about it. It's not like as though, you know... That's a good question. I have no idea. <laughs> Let me get back to you on that. Well, okay? <laughs> already navigating it. Exactly. You are in the midst of the stream of decision-making to even get you to that point. Absolutely. You bet. Um, 
So be at the re- ready at the very moment um, to explain the following. Why do, do, why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? Very basic answer behind that is what? I live for the pleasure of the King of Kings. Fundamental question. Why do I do what I do? Second is what the essence of our hope or the gospel really is. What the essence of our hope or the gospel really is. Um, let me. You don't have to turn to this, but I'll read it due to time. Hebrews 10.23 says, um, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confidence, the confession of our hope with, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Okay? Um, he says, yet do this with gentleness and reverence. Um, gentleness and reverence. Uh, gentleness here means to not be dominant or overbearing. Not be dominant or overbearing. Um, it, it actually could be uh, described as be courteous. Courteous others. Um, so you wouldn't... This is back to Dietmar's point. That you, you are not on the offensive in this situation, are you? I mean, you are from the standpoint of wanting to put your best foot forward, but you are more in ensuring that the way in which you come across is going to honor God. That's the key thing, because you are, you are on stage. <laughs> You're on stage now. Like, you don't want to, you want to do, do the right thing. Honor God. When it's all said and done, you want to speak His words, not your own. Yeah. yeah the person, if you're not gonna, it's not gonna and, work. And your personality shows through. Yep. The person's gonna see, right? Exactly. Uh, exactly. They know the. Yep. So be it, do it gent- gent- gently, do it with reverence. And this is the idea of having a deep respect for the person who asked the question and who is listening. Have a deep respect for that person. Um, this is an amazing opportunity. Have you ever had this opportunity? What happened? Anybody wants to just share um, of of a, of a situation like this where? You got asked this question, or awesome? Wow. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Yeah. Amen. But I mean, just that—that's that, a great example. You had two examples. One, one move this way. One move this way. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit literally is causing people to make decisions day in and day out about moving towards Him, moving away from Him. That's what He says. You know, our lives are testimonies. They are either of life to life or death to death. It's their decision, but we offer the message. Well, that last one here is to become pure in conscience. Pure in conscience. So if we're to um, become devoted to Christ, become ready to defend the faith, the last one here is to become pure in conscience. And he says, And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So, why is developing a good or keeping a good conscience um, important or significant in one's ability to come prepared to to um, to uh, confident to navigate a, an ever growing and hostile world? Why is that so important? Okay. Okay. So, if we don't have a good uh, a clear conscience, we, we probably also um, are timid because who knows what. Somebody may know. Who's, who knows what somebody could bring forward against me? Um, whatever the case may be. So, I, my my testimony might be compromised. So the point here is like keep a good conscience. Our conscience is, is a divinely placed internal mechanism that either accuses, convicts us, excuses, or affirms us. It holds us to our highest perceived standard. And for us, it's not what we believe, but it's what the Word of God says as being that standard in our lives. Okay. So, um, our conscious functions more as a skylight than a lamp. Um, we don't have internally perfect consciences. They are grown by God and His Word. Um, he is the standard that we should... He, he is the light on the other side of the skylight shooting through that we should hold ourselves to, if you would. Um, we're not intrinsically a lamp in our consciences, if you would. We need to keep a clear conscience, um, according to First Timothy. Um, he says, you know, that we should have a clear conscience. Um, this this idea of uh, of uh, a, a clear conscience is the idea of um, having having uh, worked through the things that God puts on our heart 
in a real-time fashion, kind of just working through them real-time. It's not about the fact that we don't sin. Okay? It's about the fact that we say that, that we um, agree with God. <laughs> that's the point about it. Um, that's the key thing. Um, at salvation, God cleanses our consciences from guilt and shame and self-contempt. Um, that's what God does at salvation. Um, Hebrews 9, uh, let me just read this one for you due to time. Hebrews 9, 49, 14, he says the following, um, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve a living God? Amen. We must guard the purity of our consciences. Guard the purity of our consciences. Um, it's, it's, it's having this goal that Paul uses, talks about with Timothy, just from the standpoint of those who, who desire to want to be in leadership, you know, to, um, to not have something that can stick to us um, from the standpoint of for others. And so um, that we would, um, quote, above reproach is the words that he uses. We'd be above reproach with those who, 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 are, who are watching our every move in this situation. Otherwise, we won't be a testimony. And then he goes on to say, uh, keep a, a clear conscience or a good conscience will allow us to be free from any burden of guilt that we face, hostility and criticism from the world. So as people come to, quote, make up, uh, make up stories or make up uh, uh, charges against us, people will look at it and go, I know them. No way that would be true. Versus, like we said last week, them going, hmm, maybe that is true. <laughs> like, be, be the first all the way, if you would. Um, an impure conscience will keep us from navigating the stress arising from difficult trials and persecutions as well. So, um, your, your text says something just a tad different. Maybe just change it. So it says we'll keep, instead of to navigate, from navigating persecutions well at the end. Um, he goes on to say, so that in the thing that you are slandered, those who revile your good name in Christ may be put to shame. The word slandered here means to speak evil about or verbal abuse. In other words, when people come and speak evil about you and verbally abuse you before other people um, or revile you, revile here means to threaten or insult mistreat. Um, back to what um, Deanne started us off with today. We must remember that in the midst of the fire, that God will redeem all things for His glory and our good. For His glory and our good. We must remember that in the midst of the fire, that God will redeem all things for His glory and our good. I wanted to ask you a question here. Um, we talked about what a conscience is and why keep it clean. Um, just in your own personal life, how have, what are some practical ways to keep your conscience that you've done to try to keep your conscience clean? Just in your own life, what are some practical ways? That, spending time in God's Word, okay? The Almighty in general, okay? Almost it's taking stock. Yeah. Just... Almost inventorying or taking stock of how... And when I do that, I, I do the same thing. When I do that, um, one of the things I try to think about is not what happened, but I want to think about what decisions I made. My decisions are where I, I just want to have you think differently about that. It's not about what I did. It's about the decisions of my, that I made, why I made those decisions. Those are the two things that I encourage you with. Other thoughts? Any other thoughts? I'm going to die. Um, any other thoughts? Spending time with other believers. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> It's like if we, if we, um, none of us are lone rangers, right? We can't make it by on our own. All of us need one another. Need to have people speaking into my life. I need to have people um, care enough to speak into my life. I need to allow them to speak into my life. I need to commit myself to one and each other, one to another. Spouse, my life, you know, people. Yeah. You put yeah. On. yeah. Hard to just put off. I mean, we are, the way we've been made. We. So, just in closing. We remind you what we talked about. So, in order to develop con confidence in a hostile world, first and foremost, become passionate about goodness. Get fired up about about what's good. 
in my life. Um, number two, become willing to suffer. Be, be in the process of becoming willing to suffer. That's why I would say at the front end of each one of these, become, be, get, in the, be in the process of becoming. Um, get in the process of becoming devoted to Christ. How? By sanctifying Christ as Lord. By sanctifying Christ as Lord. Become ready to defend the faith. Um, my question is, you know, have I thought that through? Have I been proactive? Do I know my testimony? Can I speak it quickly? Do I know what it is? Can I talk about what matters most in my life? Can I explain the living hope that I have? Somebody who has no hope. Um, and last but not least, uh, become pure in conscience. Be in the process of, of, of saying no to sin in my life so that I can try to be above reproach. Paul says very clearly as to the conscience, you know, in two major settings when he was called before people, the magistrates, he said, I have sought my whole life to live with a... Can I say that? That really should navigate how I make decisions. Can I ask somebody to close in prayer? Amen. Have a great day. No? Yes. <laughs> we had to do with uh, the... Uh, oh, chapter 6? Yeah, verses 10 and 6. Just, there's there's two passages, so 6 and 10. 4 and 5 sounded like salvation yeah. 6 as they fall them through a little bit? Or? No, it no. was interesting because he did the other way. Fall, fall away literally means to stumble. Fall away. That's what I know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, no, you never did. Because he was struggling with that. No, he didn't call. But uh, but I think he, um, yeah, we do. Two, two in the two going horizontal there. Um, he, uh, I think, he, you know, I, kn- I knew he struggled with that, and I knew that um, it's probably something I probably should circle back with him on. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, the way I handle those things is like, you know, there's good men on both sides of the house who, who actually would interpret this differently. Yeah. John MacArthur's one of them. So my, uh, here's why I would interpret it this way. And uh, well, if you... A different perspective. Just make sure you understand why you have a different perspective. I, I can't imagine that there's an author of Hebrews who's writing, you know, to uh, yeah, exactly. to believers, you know, and and then saying, you know, this other thing. So I, I, there's six warning passages in Hebrews that will your perspective of, of what he's trying to accomplish in, um, is going to depend upon whether you think he's writing to believers or not. That's the whole yeah, point. Yeah. And so your interpretation of all of those passages will this versus that. <laughs> yeah, and there's even like points in the conversation. You no, know, and I know what you'd say, just in some just saying <laughs> in verse four or five to be this. Yeah. Yeah, going this way. Yep. Yeah, it's easy to get um, entangled in like well, this person says this, and this person yeah. says, but what do you say? You know, it's like, <laughs> sorry, good. Why do you say what you say? So that's, yeah. I just, I, I want to force people to think, yeah. you know, and uh, come up with um, further, yeah. You know, <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, um, be perfectly honest, I thought that, um, that uh, and I have to talk to Michael about this, but it, um, it wasn't, I mean, if I were to give him some thoughts, I, I would just say, you know, for leaders, you should, I thought he just threw a bunch of verses out there that may or may not be that, that way, and it probably tracked from the purpose of what it was to go through that to try to that's navigate why I was those verses. Struggling right. in my original email, right. and I was like, here's, "Here's my interpretation." No, but it was the idea that I'm interpreting exactly. and so I'm kind of exactly. Good, and I don't want to. No, exactly. No, I agree completely. I think I think we did the right thing, and okay. it was fine. I just I was somewhat concerned for some of the other groups, you know, to right. make sure that they didn't fall into some traps or something, you know. That's so my it, thought initially. Yeah. I don't want to jump in and say exactly. Hey, what, exactly. Or what have you? Exactly, and we just didn't even have the time to do that either. So, oh, right. yeah. But I, I, my concern was more also just about like the other groups. I didn't get a chance to talk to anybody else and find out like how did you guys. Right? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll circle with him on that. I think I don't think that's fair to do that without giving some guidance and everything else, which really wasn't in there at all. So. My concern was more on the 
I mean, the context would say that's the case, right? Because it's, uh, he's saying, you know, in such or some of you or that thought process. And he said, well, right. Right, but those, but those are those are those exactly are the yeah. things that um, when you think about um, why it's so important to, to under, uh, discern, you know, the God, because you end up with um, building um, a theology or a construct around these things, and then you make decisions because of right, yeah, exactly. um, which may or may not be accurate, right. exactly, and then you have this like lens or two things. I'll let you know he may hit me today. <laughs> I'll let you know. 